From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. We're going to be talking about soccer made in Portland this week. We're going to be talking about <laughs> soccer that's going to be happening in Portland. I, I, I This is really exciting. It, it has been so long since we talked about games being played at Providence Park. I just feel so tired, Jamie. I don't know how these players feel, but when you talk about a 12-game road trip, a 6-game road trip, and then being at Providence Park on Saturday to watch T2 in the cold opening that uh, they had at the park, I just suddenly, it all caught up to me. I just feel for these players that haven't had a home game, and I think more than just being excited for the soccer, I'm excited that these players and these coaches' lives are getting back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they are very tired. I don't think we should be tired as people that don't have to play soccer. But yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I was actually looking at uh, Steve Clark's Instagram, and I hadn't thought about this, but I guess he was in DC, so he's just. Mm. This is just how he plays soccer. This is what he does. He just goes on long road trips to start seasons. Yeah, and I guess we take that for granted that a lot of these <laughs> players, you know, whether they be from out of the country or they live on the East Coast, they they kind of live out of their bags for the year. So um, for us, we're lucky enough to be able to live here in Portland for other people they had previous lives. So I don't know. I'm going to stick with my tired theory. <laughs> the, the, the fact that these this was so strange for all these guys. Um, for, on the timber side, though, I was talking to somebody from the Thorns last night. On the timber side, I think the road trip was long enough where they kind of got used to it. They just got used to always having a bag packed, only being at home for three or four days at a time. On the Thorns side, though, I really get the feeling that they were kind of reaching a point of, all right, this is ridiculous. I just don't want to fly for a week. So for them, life never got too abnormal, I think. Yeah, and I I think that kind of brings us into Philly. I I mean, I think part of it for the Timbers is they sort of got used to it, and then they realized this is our reality. And if you look at the last six games, uh, they they rose to that occasion. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. So. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, this is how bad of a mood I am here. It's, we're actually recording on Monday. It's pretty early. We usually record at night. It's like 10 a.m. <laughs> I'm having all these clear and cogent thoughts that I never have when we record in the evening. But you, you're talking about getting used to life on the road. The one thing that comes to mind when I say that is we've seen over the last few years that the Timbers have this tendency to put their own back up against the wall before they respond. I think you could probably say that about the Thorns a little bit too. I don't I don't know what it is, but I think if there's something that maybe I'm concerned about going forward for the Timbers, because they clearly are playing pretty well right now given how they played in Philadelphia this weekend, it's that they needed to force themselves to respond rather than coming up with solutions before the problems arose. But I'm sure we can talk about that, Jamie, because it was a very, I don't i don't want to say convincing victory, because it's not like the Timbers just played Philadelphia off the park. In fact, for a large part of this game, Philadelphia was controlling play. But it was a very resourceful victory and a very good victory, I think, on Saturday at Talent Energy Stadium. Yeah, um, I have been terrible at predicting things lately so of course i predicted a 1-1 draw um it did not work out you in fact and we we clarified this last week so you got your side bet was absolutely correct i I mean i I think i even described it i said does you said you said a fernandez goal blanco assist and i said well does the was the does the assist from blanco have to be fernandez or if he if he assists valeria are we okay and 
You said an yep. assist of Larry would be fine. Um. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was going for at least a two-goal game here for the yeah. Timbers. So um, I, I'd like to say I wasn't surprised, but the way the first two goal happen, goals happened, I definitely was surprised. 31st minute, 36th minute by Brian Fernandez. At this point, we know this guy is good, and we're starting to hear these stories about just how intense he is as far as his eternal hunger for goals but for the Timbers to weather that early storm shift formations and then respond with two goals before halftime I don't know Jamie it's starting to feel like last year again a little bit yeah let's uh, I think let's start with the big picture I mean the Timbers get the 3-1 win over Philadelphia they finished the road trip with 14 points they're 4-1-1 in their last six games um they're four points below the red line but I, I don't think anyone expected them to be above the red line after a 12 game road stretch how mm. do you feel about this road trip my feeling on this trip, beyond being tired, that's the last <laughs> time I'll, I'll mention it, because as you said, we're not actually playing these games. My feeling is that it just feels like life is back to normal. Even though there hasn't been a home game or anything, it just feels like there's not that week-to-week dread that we had when the team was 0-5-1, that this is just how the Timbers play. <clears throat> there's this feeling that going in... <clears throat> sorry about that. Jeez, it really is early in the morning. Um, th- th- there's this feeling like going into every game that they have a chance to win. Now, we'll see how we feel about Saturday's game when they're going up against what's clearly the best team in the league. But I think it's a testament to this team that after three months on the road, it just feels like this is a normal season at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess you get the feeling it's a normal season. I wouldn't say that. I, I think the Timbers are playing really well. I, I, I think to get, yeah. I mean, 4-1-1 one, one in a stretch on the road it is not normal. I, I think there's been seasons where the Timbers have hardly won on the road. They missed, obviously, there was a year they didn't win on the road and they missed playoffs because of it, um, but, just, <laughs> but just barely. I, I mean, this has been a team that has historically been very, very good at home. And sometimes the road form has kept up and sometimes it hasn't. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the Timbers responded to the absolutely horrific start to the season and it sort of forced them, as you said, backs against wall. It forced them to become a good road team and that could be beneficial to them. They only play five more road games this season, but that could be beneficial to them going forward um, because I, I think they're playing better than normal right now on the road. No, that's a really good point. Maybe I was overlooking that or maybe I was even shortchanging what the Timbers have done over the last six weeks because, like you said, history has not been kind to this team on the road. And even though we have seen in the Giovanni Savarese area era, them be plucky at times on the road, we've also seen them be bad at times on the road too. So for them to have a stretch of games where they've only lost once and that game in Vancouver was a pretty close game. Uh, Yeah, you're right, Jamie. I think I took that for granted a little bit. Now, whether they can translate that into elevated home form too, I think that awaits to be seen because what the real promise of this good stretch is, is the ability to make it up at home. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but Jamie, they're basically, I'm going off the top of my head here, I think they're four points out of a playoff spot right now. So they're within touching distance of that line. I think they're, you know, just the general feeling when you look at the loss call, not the loss column, the road column in the standings and see how their road record compares to the rest of the conference. Really, only LAFC has a better road record than the Timbers have right now. So how are you feeling about where they sit in the standings after this three-month stretch? Yeah, I I feel good about 14 points. I I think we had sort of set on 12 points was going to be a a good, solid end to this road trip. They're they're at 14. Um, That's even better than I I think expected and, and certainly better than expected given that they were on one point after six games um right i i I think they are in good position you're right that they have to get the job done at home i I mean like you said this is all based on the assumption 
that home form is going to look like what it has looked like in past years. Yeah. Um, if for some reason they have a, a year like the Thorns had at home last year, then then we'd be talking about different issues. But I think they did everything they could in this road trip. I, I think they have to be very happy with where they're at right now. All right, let's start breaking down the game a little bit, Jamie. And the first place we have to start is the record signing is playing like a record <laughs> signing. Uh, we said it before this podcast, goals in the 31st, the 36th minute, gave us 54 minutes to wonder if we were going to see the first hat trick in the Timbers MLS era. Didn't happen, but Brian Fernandez has three goals in 100 and, what is it, 25 minutes, 115 minutes so far? I really should know these numbers, but it's it's a one in the third games. He already has three goals, and uh, like you have, in, like you've said in our notes, he's now the second leading scorer on the team behind Jeremy Obobese. Um So the one thing that we've touched on before that I kind of want to start this with is just how how do we think that he's different than the other forwards that uh, the team has had in the MLS era? Because for me, you look at players like Kenny Cooper and Chris Boyd and even Fernando Adi, there's just such a striking difference in profile that the team has gone after with this signing. Yeah, like like I think we talked about before, maybe in profile, he's a little bit more in the vein of what they expected Lucas Milano to be. Um, that didn't pan out, but just in sort of the sort of, you know, someone that can get behind defenders uh, that can get that pace. Um, I, I think his mentality. It, it's nine minutes it took us to mention Lucas Milano, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which is nine, nine minutes more than he got got playing time yep. this weekend. Um, and I'm not sure how much playing time he's going to get going forward. But I, I, I think that might have been more of the type of forward they were going for when they made that signing with Milano. It just yeah. didn't work out. Um what I like about this guy is he just has the mentality and he's the type of player. And I, I, I apologies to Audie, but he's the type of player. And I, I don't think we've seen this in the Timbers era that if he gets the ball in a certain place, he's going to score. And for whatever reason, the Timbers have had good goal scorers. They've had guys that have finished big chances. They've never had a guy that you can feel all that confident with that. They get the ball in that place. They're going to score a goal period. Um, mm-hmm. And so far, He's the type of guy that I, I think you feel that way. Yeah, I, I was reading Steve Clark's comments after the game. He talked to some reporters from MLSsoccer.com, and it's starting to come out. The teammates are talking about just this guy's attitude. And um, I don't want to use kind of a, a harsh term as kind of an analogy or metaphor, but he really is very focused and very single-minded in on um, a little bit of a disturbing way. Like there's an intensity to him where you kind of wonder, ooh, are, are like, are you going to turn around and punch somebody at any moment? And I don't mean that in the sense that he's a bad guy. He's far from a bad guy so far. But he is so intensely focused on scoring goals at all times. Like, even during jogging around the pitch in warm-ups, you can tell that he's just like almost like a caged animal at that point. So we're starting to see that on the field a little bit. And in that sense the contrast between him and Fernando Adi is really stark because there was a comfort to Fernando Adi when he was playing well, almost just like, Hey, I, I should, I am, this is who I am. I'm here. Of course I'm playing well. This is, I'm Fernando Adi. Whereas Brian Fernandez is more like I scored two goals and I have 54 minutes to score another one. That, that game was practically a failure. I went 54 minutes without a goal. So it's going to be interesting to see the heights that he reaches because already he's talking as if he still thinks he can win the golden boot in this league. Yeah. Um, I think, as we'll talk about, a player that they're facing <laughs> this weekend has something to say about that. But right. um, yeah, no, I, I just he has the right mentality. I, I mean, I, I think you hear guys talk about forwards oftentimes uh, have big egos. They 
they expect the ball, they want to score. It's not always the person. I mean, the personality traits you kind of say about Fords, at least when they're on the field, aren't always the personality traits you want in human beings, you know, kind of. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that's what they are like off the field when they're away from the game by any means. You you do have to sort of have that uh, I'm going to score a goal mentality and single-mindedness to, I think, be successful at a, as a forward to some degree or to be one of the most successful forwards. And this guy has that. Um, and I, I think that's helped him. It looks like it's helped him so far. I mean, it's been very clear from the outside. Uh, you don't have to listen to Steve Clark's comments necessarily. Um, obviously, that gives you more insight, but it's been very clear from the outside just watching the way he plays that he's in there and he's going to score a goal, and that's his expectation every single game, every single minute he's on the field. Yeah, and we talked about it earlier this year when the team was struggling, how when you looked at the lineup, it was a bunch of guys who were at a point in their career where they were established. And maybe some of that hunger wasn't evident in the first games of the season. Now, I think some of the players would take objection to me saying that, saying that, you know, maybe the fight wasn't there. But we've seen that Giovanni Savarese and other players have talked about just the effort in those four, by the time the the winless run reached four or five, six games. The effort wasn't there. I think what you see in Brian Fernandez is that he doesn't feel he's at the peak of his career. He feels like there's more to come. There's He feels like there's other levels that he still has to fight to get to. And to be honest, I think the team maybe needed some of that. You have a lot of guys on the team that are 27 to 33. They have a couple kids. They're, they're settled in here in Portland. Their life is really good. But every once in a while, you need somebody like uh, Brian Fernandez to come in and, and push everybody. And not only Brian Fernandez, I think you've uh, mentioned a, a number of times that the pathway from T2 to, to the Timbers is not as established as you would like. A lot of those players at T2 are the hungry players that are really wanting their careers to get there. So I think even beyond the goal scoring, to bring somebody like him in to kind of go, you know, I, there's so much in my career I still want to accomplish. I think that's going to be a big help to the squad. Yeah, so how do you think that his addition has sort of changed the outlook for the Timbers this year? Do you do you think yeah. that we can be suddenly rating the Timbers way higher or the expectations are different? I don't I <laughs> My first instinct is just to volley this one back to you, Jamie, but I'm not going to be dumb because you did ask this question. Coming into the year, I thought Kansas City and Seattle had the best teams in the West. And we see how brilliant that is. Kansas City's near the bottom <laughs> yeah. of the conference. And then LAFC, who I thought was a level below, is a level above everybody in the West. But I generally thought that at the time when I was looking at that, the Timbers needed to nail their right back acquisition and then nail their um, nail their designated player acquisition. Not to necessarily be better than those teams, but to be on a, a footing to where they come the playoffs in a one-game scenario could feel like they have all the tools they needed to beat those teams. And I think that's where they are right now. I don't think Brian Fernandez moves them drastically ahead of Seattle or Kansas City, but I also think the margins you're talking about at the top of the league, it's hard to leapfrog these teams. I think they're right in the discussion with, I'll, I'll just say Seattle, because Seattle, you look at their team, pretty much no glaring weaknesses. They have players like Nicholas Ladero, Raul Rui Diaz, that when they're healthy, make them extremely dangerous. And I, I think that profile is very similar to the Timbers, where Rui Diaz is the Fernandez. Ladero is... People like Lodero and Victor Rodriguez, they're Blanco and Valeri. And it just gives you all the tools I think you need to be able to compete. Now, now I will ping pong this back to you. How do you feel with their squad right now, the Timbers compare with those teams that at the end of the season, they're going to have to beat in one game scenarios if they are to get back to another cup final? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about where the Timbers are at. I, I think 
the sample size with Fernandez is, is small. And so we have, I, I mean, I, I think we were very excited about Armenteros uh, and then he completely oh, fell off. I, yeah, I mean, go delete, let's go delete those podcasts. Those will yeah. reflect well at us now. I mean, I, I, I think you have to see a bigger sample size. At the same time, I, I do think you just look at this guy's resume and just the mentality he has. I mean, I, I do think the Timbers have signed a different striker than they've ever had in the past. Um, but you, you have to see how it plays out once t- other teams get to know him a little bit better, once they're making their game plan around trying to stop this guy, things like that. Um, but yeah, I I am really excited with where the Timbers are at right now and what Fernandez's signing can do. I think Saturday's game will be a test because I'm not sure any team in this league is going to catch LAFC. Um, so I'm yeah. not comfortable putting them on the same level as LAFC at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's no reason not to say that maybe this team could be where Seattle is or, or something like that. Um, we just have to see how it continues in the coming weeks and especially how they take advantage of their home games. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the attack around Brian Fernandez because we saw we're seeing Diego Valeri continue to elevate his play after a first month of the season that I think left a lot of us asking yeah. questions. Uh, Sebastian Blanco was kept out of the team this weekend, basically trying to prevent him from getting a yellow card that would have kept him out of the home opener. He came in late, obviously set up Diego Valeri's goal, a really nice goal. Uh, and then you had Jeremy Abobasi this weekend who had to sacrifice going out to left wing, uh, left midfield when the team changed formations about halfway through the first half. How over the 110, 120 minutes we've seen Brian Fernandez now, how are you liking the fit of all those pieces around him? Because that was the main question when Fernandez was coming in. How are you going to be able to fit those four together? What are you seeing early on? I mean, I think the fit with um, Valeri has been has been very good. I think it's helped bring out the best in Valeri. I think Valeri, like you said, was already playing better. Um, but maybe just from the element of the teams have more players they have to pay attention to. Um, and it gives Valeri a little bit more space or Blanco potentially. We haven't seen Blanco, Valeri, and Fernandez all start together yet. I assume that something we will see this weekend. Um, so I, I think we have more sort of to see in that area. Um, I, I think the, was it the second goal or the first goal? It's a, I believe it's the second goal that the sort of the connection between Valeri, Chara, Fernandez, uh, on yeah. that goal, I, I mean, that was really exciting to see. I, they're already building chemistry. They're able to do something like that. That's a good sign. For Jeremy, for Jeremy Abobasi, I have a little bit more questions because I don't think that he's a natural wide player. Um, and uh, clearly the Timbers aren't going to take Fernandez out of the lineup, and, and I don't think they're going to push him wide. So I, I, I do think there are questions remaining. They had to switch formations in this game. Um, and then yep. I think the formation was set up to help to allow both Fernandez and Abobasi to play in natural positions for them. Um, that's my question. Uh, I, I think it doesn't change my opinion of the signing because I think it is a tremendous signing, but I don't know what it's going to do to Abobasi. Yeah, kind of going back to what you just hinted about, about where Brian Fernandez is going to play or where the team wants to play him. This is something that only came into real focus once Brian Fernandez arrived here. The idea that the team looks at Brian Fernandez as a forward. And remember that quote from the press release where we kind of thought that maybe Giovanni Savarese was liberally using the term forward. Oh, he could, maybe he also means wing because Fernandez has played so well in right midfield for Nicaxa. But there is an element of danger that he brings at the top of the formation that I think is a factor in how well Diego Valeri has played over these last couple of games, being able to create that extra space in midfield. So I guess the biggest question going forward 
is just to kind of reframe the words you just said, because honestly, I think you said it well. I don't know why I'm repeating what you said, is really is the diamond mid- midfield going to work? They can also go to a 4-2-3-1 in which maybe Jeremy Abobasi can play Y or Brian Fernandez can play Y. But really, tactically, the best look is going to be if Fernandez and Abobasi are up top together with Valeri behind. I think this weekend they kind of got into a, a, a battle of diamonds with a team that just plays a diamond better and has been playing a diamond the whole season. So we saw early in the game that Philadelphia was able to find the spaces that they know are going to be there when they're playing a diamond. Probably when they're playing their 11 on 11s going back to going back to January. They've been playing diamonds against each other. It'll be interesting to see what will happen when the Timbers try to use this formation against teams that aren't as familiar with it. Because if it also doesn't work against them, then I think we have a problem fitting in Jeremy Abobasi at that point. I I don't know how you feel about it, but um, I I guess we shouldn't beat around the bush about this. I I don't think Jeremy Abobasi has had the best month. Yeah, I'm not convinced he's going to stay in the lineup. I'm not convinced if it's working, if a different formation is working, um, that they're going to keep Abobasi in the lineup. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And, you know, I almost hate myself every time we talk about Jeremy Abobasi. I have to say, you know, he's only this—he's only this age. He still has a lot to go. There's going to be ups and downs, but it's kind of true, right? If Jeremy Abobasi has a point now where he has to fight for his job a little bit, or he just has six or seven bad games, well, everybody has six or seven bad games. We were just talking about Diego Valeri and how two months ago we were like, "Whoa, is the is the old Valeri gone forever?" I mean, Jeremy Abobasi just might be going through a bad stretch here. At the same time to use a term that you used earlier in this podcast, the sample size on Jeremy Abobasi's first division career is still very small. By a forward standards, it's still pretty small. So I, I just, I'm just not sure that we can be 100% confident that, one, we know what Jeremy Abobasi is, and two, if we feel like we do, that that is necessarily somebody who is or is not going to be able to fit into a lineup with all the these other attacking talents. Yeah. Um. You touched on the the change of formation, uh, and, and I, I do think that's I'm not saying I actually wrote in our notes, but I think it's something we should touch on. I, I mean, the Timbers, I think, did it was an interesting game tactically. Um, yeah. From the Timbers making the switch in the in the first half to go to more traditional four four two, and then Philadelphia comes out in the second half and, and switches up their system and, and sort of catches the Timbers a little bit off guard. Uh, they score a goal early. Um, mm. what did you, I mean, how did you sort of evaluate the tactics from both teams? Uh, I was struck by how early Giovanni Savarese changed because we've seen him change formations a lot during his year and a half here, but I don't think we've ever seen him change formations like 25 minutes yeah. in. So he saw something very clear that was wrong, but then wrong in a way that he didn't think his team was going to have solutions for it on the field. So I thought that was interesting. And the fact that they have this kind of four four two in their pocket right now that they can go back to on the fly, I think that's encouraging. Uh, I think it is discouraging that they couldn't match Philadelphia because even though I think you can argue it as if, oh, Philadelphia has talented players who have played the system all year. There's a reason why they're better. I think just kind of like the lack of fight during those first 25 minutes, like when you're kind of being passed around and you're seeing those Philadelphia players pop up in places before you even get there, you still have to have a response to it. And I, over those 25 minutes, I didn't see the response. Now in the second half, Philadelphia, I thought 
was very good until maybe the last 10 or 15 minutes where uh, Portland was able to start kind of hitting them um, in transition and, you know, Philadelphia was really chasing the game at that point. But I also thought that, you know, that 4-2-3-1 look, they've been doing that for the last half hours of their games or so. So I think the Timbers had a pretty good idea of what to do with that and seemed pretty comfortable just kind of getting into a low block and keeping everything on the outside. But I, I want to hear your thoughts, Jamie, because I, like you, I thought it was interesting in the sense that the metaphor of two coaches in a chess match, this really did seem yeah. like a prolonged chess match because you were seeing move and response, move and response, move and response. I think that Savarese is really good in a chess match. And I, I think that has been a benefit for the Timbers. We saw that last year. We saw that We saw that in this game. I, I think other coaches, I, I think the Timbers in previous years, uh, uh, before Savarese, I don't think they would have been able to make those changes on the fly. Like, yeah. like, like you said, the diamond midfield is something that the Timbers sort of want to work to get the players that they want on the field. And so yeah. maybe it's disappointing to see it not work in this game and we'll see what happens going forward. But I liked the ability to switch on the fly and switch effectively. I didn't love the, the performance in the second half. Um, I, I think it's <laughs> part of just a home team sort of taking it to them. I think the Timbers were somewhat lucky uh, to get out of there and not end up um, with, with one point. Yeah. I, I mean, they they weathered the storm and it, it turned out good for them. But the three one score line doesn't really tell you the whole picture of what happened in that second half. Yeah, definitely. And the first half too, because before the formation changed, Philadelphia was yeah. the better team. And uh, you know, a couple times they hit the post in the second half. Uh, there was one save that Steve Clark made that that you know it's one of those saves that in the run of play it looks like a good save because it's like a bang bang moment. And then you see the replay, and you're like, oh, every every goalkeeper should make that save. But I think it was Fafa Pico that had a header from near the spot and if he just directs that at either post yeah. it's probably gonna end up being a goal so uh but you know these things happen these are the breaks that weren't going for the timbers earlier in the year they're going for the timbers now maybe they're evening out a little bit but you know the timbers did end up conceding a goal very early in the second half a little bit concerning how quickly philadelphia got that goal coming right out of halftime really weird goal the way the spin came off the post and it looked like it was going away from the line and it spun back over the line but uh damiego one of our listeners asks uh, the timbers haven't gotten a shutout yet should I even care? Should he even care, Jamie? This is an existential question. I think he should care, but I don't think it's been a huge concern. I mean, I think what was a huge concern was this, what was it, 17 goals in the first six games? That was a yeah. massive concern. Um, the Timbers have conceded six in the last six, and they've done really well. I, I mean, if a team's conceding a goal a game, and they're finding ways to score two goals a game, or they're finding ways to get results, I don't think it's the biggest concern. You're, you want the Timbers to get uh, some shutouts here and there. You want them to prove that they can do that. But they've been on the road. I, I would like to see how they do in terms of um, their defense at home. Um, and, and I Timbers might just not be one of the teams that leads the leagues in shutouts this year or something. It doesn't mean that they can't be one of the better teams in the league if their attack is as potent as it's been in recent weeks. Hmm. Jamie, I want to hear your thoughts on this because this is something that when I'm trying to analyze things, I struggle with. I struggle with how important I should think this is because whenever I look at teams in any sport, really, there comes a point in the season where you just have to hit your bottom line goals. No matter what method that you have to employ during the course of the game, you have to win the game. You have to overcome whatever challenge the opponent is throwing at you. It's a do or die scenario. Maybe you just have to keep a shutout because your attack isn't working for some reason. You have to make that eight minute, eighth minute corner kick hold up. So when I'm looking at the fact that they've allowed one goal in every single one of these last six games, I think that's pretty good. 
On the other hand, every team wants to keep a clean sheet. It is a bottom line goal. And so the fact that the Timbers haven't hit that bottom line goal, I'm judging them more on that than I am just their actual defense. Their defense has been fine. Their inability to kind of hit a bottom line goal. How much should I be focusing on this whole bottom line goal BS? They're, it's a disappointment if they're not getting any shutouts, but it's really hard to get a shutout on the road. It just is in an MLS. And so I... I'm not willing to judge them all that much on not hitting that bottom line goal until we see if they can't hit that bottom line goal at home. They're getting mm. the job done, which I think that's the important part. They're finding a way to get results. And so if it doesn't come with a shutout, yeah, that's a concern, but I don't think it's a concern that's going to sink their season. Mm. Well, let's get to some concerns that are more of like the luxury kind, some of the <laughs> some of the roster issues that we're seeing the Timbers have. And it's their issues, they're good issues because they're more reflecting the depth that the team has. You know, we've talked about it a lot where maybe on the top end, the Timbers haven't had the deepest talent, at least not as deep a talent as a team like LAFC has, but maybe kind of, you know, 11 through 28, they're, pre- they're a pretty deep team, 11 through 30. So we're starting to see some of that. I think the number one place to look is in goal. It's starting to really look like the Timbers are going to a bit of a platoon system in goal right now. I, I say that not knowing what they're actually doing. Uh, Giovanni Savarese and his staff have been very straightforward about we don't know who's starting this week we have two good goalkeepers how would you characterize the situation that's unfolding right now not only with Steve Clark and Jeff Atnella but we're start you actually asked about Aljazivicic in Giovanni Savarese's press conference this week we have a horizon where there is a third goalkeeper that's eventually going to be in this discussion so what what is this discussion about right now who's the starter what's the plan what what's the direction right now I, I like that sort of your analysis last week. It does seem like the Timbers might be pay, picking either Clark or Adanella based sort of on the opponent and what, what they're looking from the game plan for the entire team. I, I tried to ask Savarese about that, and he didn't really, uh, of course, explain. He's not going to tell me, we're going to play Adanella versus this opponent, type of opponent. We're going to play Clark <laughs> versus this type of opponent. But I, I would assume there's some sort of discussions related to that going on because it doesn't seem as if... Clark has totally won this spot um, or Adonella has totally won the spot. It, there seems to be a platoon sort of going on and, and decisions being made to game to game. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it will be interesting if it really is a situation where they kind of set out the tactical game plan and then they choose the goalkeeper based on that because we don't see that situation unfold that option yeah. often. I mean, the, cl- the closest you get to platoon situations with goalkeepers, not only in this league, but around the world, is where one of the goalkeepers is named a cup goalkeeper. And they'll play the Open Cup, they'll play Champions League or something like that, but the other person gets the regular season. Here, I, I don't know. I mean, I, we can continue to sit here and talk about it. The one thing that I keep talking about is just what's in Jeff Attenella's mind. Because the guy played well enough last year to earn that spot. He was one of the Timbers' best players in their worst moment this year, he had a bad game in Columbus, and now he's fighting for his job, it seems like. And, I mean, if I were him, I would feel a little hard done, but at the same time, if you're a coaching staff, you have a responsibility to your team, to your organization, to the fans, to play the person you think is best, period. Yeah. Well, so who starts? Les- Leslie wants to know. A few people want to know. So who starts uh, in goal on Saturday? I If my theory about them playing to their tactics is true. I would guess that Atanella starts because I don't see them going to be, I don't see them wanting to play a high line for 90 minutes against LAFC. Um, And, 
yeah, I, I think if you go by that logic and you're going to sit in and try to keep them on the outside, you're going to have somebody that's going to have to be a big physical presence controlling the box, um, making the right reads when to come off his line uh, when for through balls. I think it's Jeff Atanella. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, for roughly the same reasoning and Atanella's shot blocking ability against a team that's going to take shots. <laughs> um yeah, I, I would go that way too, but but it's hard to tell. Steve Clark had a good game, yep. so I mean, it, for other reasonings, you might go with Clark because he had a good game, and why take him out? But it, yeah. it, this is a hard one to predict right now. It's hard because we really don't know what the parameters yeah. are here. We're just purely speculating. Now, as far as the team's fullbacks are concerned, we had kind of, I don't want to say a wrench, but a wrinkle thrown in because this weekend, Jorge Moreira was not in the starting lineup. Jorge Villafaña, off of his really good game in Houston, got another start at left back, and then Zarek Valentin at right back. So, Jamie, what are you seeing as the picture at the fullback situation right now? I think that's the picture. I think Valentin and Villafaña are the starting fullbacks right now, um, at least for the moment. I think Morera is going to get another chance. Um, but they're playing well, and Morera wasn't, defensively at least. So there's no reason, I, I, I think, to take uh, what's working um, with both mm-hmm. those players out at the moment. Yeah, I think the one thing that comes to mind for me is this was basically a homecoming game for Zarek Valentin. So Philadelphia is the market closest to where his family lives um, in Lancaster. Uh, he's a big Philadelphia guy. People who follow him on social know how much he's liked Philadelphia teams being very successful this year, uh, Philadelphia sports teams. I, I wouldn't downplay that. Um, I think that was a factor in them trying to get Steve Clark a start in either Columbus or Toronto because of his roots in the uh, the Ohio area. But at the same time, again, we'll have to try to get some some uh, answers out of the coaching staff on this one. Again, very distinct profiles as to how you want to tactically set up. If you feel like one side is going to be particularly weak, vulnerable defensively, Zarek Valentin is clearly the person that you're going to start there. If you feel like there's an opportunity to liberate your fullback and get them forward on the right side, Jorge Marrera is your best option there. And then Viafania, if he continues playing as well as he has right now, and we should probably talk about that. At what point do we feel the real Jorge Viafania is absolutely back? We can forget about that first month of the season. But Jorge Viafania is kind of like a, a little bit of... A little in between. And he's probably, when he's at his best, the best one-on-one defender of all three of them. Even if I would say Zarek Valentin overall is a better defender than Jorge Villafania. But let's talk about that, Jamie. How confident are you that the Jorge Villafania that everybody thought was coming back from Mexico going to be the 2015 Villafania? How close is he to that? I, I, I mean, I don't know that he's providing as many assists that he was in 2015. But I, I think that... Timbers fans should be happy with his performance right now, and I don't see any reason to take him out of the lineup. I, I'm not. I, I think it's going to continue to play out. I wouldn't be surprised to see him be up and down because I feel like he was last year. Uh, but right now, it's going well, and, and he's showing what he's capable of and what they expected from him. And, and there's no reason to make a change there. Mm-hmm. And then probably the final note before we move on to LAFC, we saw another debut. Uh, we're getting a lot of debuts recently. Yeah. Uh, Foster Langsdorf in San Jose. Renzo Zambrano in Houston, and Eric Williamson, somebody that fans have been calling for based on the numbers that he's putting up in USL, um, huge assist totals. He got a run out at the end of this game, had had an opportunity for a goal or to set up Diego Chara for a goal at the end that I think he's probably wants back. I think most people would want him to do a little bit better there. But Eric Williamson is now in the record books as an official Timbers player. 
Jamie, do you think we're going to see more of Eric Williamson going forward? I think getting someone, uh, their debut is important because it sort of gets that out of the way. I mean, I, I think there was probably nerves on that opportunity that should have been scored by somebody um, that, that he just didn't do well enough on. I think it's going to be tough with Zimbrano. Zimbrano really wasn't an option in this game coming back from Venezuela. So given that it seems like he's more positionally what they need in, in the midfield, I think it's going to be tough for Williamson to get back in. I mean, similarly, we haven't seen Foster get back in. Um but I, I think it opens it up. I, I think it's mm-hmm. easier to give someone their second run than it is to give them their debut and find the right moment for that. Yeah, like you said, Renzo Zambrano was training in Florida with Venezuela this whole week, and they if they flew him back. I mean, he would have been jumping into the whole thing very late. And then Christian Paredes, his thigh injury was a factor here too. And then we also saw where Eric Williamson played when he came in. He played higher up. He's he's not really a player that you're going to say is the best option when you're talking about those deeper positions that the midfield, where the midfield battles are right now. I mean, he's really more in contention for taking some of Diego Valeri's time, which if Diego Valeri was out, you would expect Sebastian Blanco yeah. to play in that spot before that. And the team really isn't playing like true three-man midfields at this point where Eric Williamson can be one of two number eights in the middle. So it's interesting. I guess I just see this more of like a Foster Langsdorf debut where everything kind of lined up to get Foster into the 18 in San Jose. Uh, and it was kind of, you know, a little bit of a homecoming for him there, too, even though he's obviously not from San Jose, but he spent four years in the Bay Area at Stanford. Uh, you know, Eric Williamson's going to U23 national team camp now. That's happening in Annapolis, Maryland. He's from that neck of the woods. Philadelphia is close. And given everything else that's happening, might as well, you know, show show the guy you care about him show the guy you, you care about him getting some minutes but i don't know jamie it just seems like there there's a bit of a midfield log jam and once everybody's healthy we know charon paredes are the starters yeah so but it was nice to see him out there <laughs> it was run. it was yeah and it's it, you know and you've brought this up in a i pushed back against this but i think your view is valid on this that the pathway from t2 to the timbers isn't clear right now yeah. but i think we're starting to see it's good it's getting clearer and um, I would expect Marvin Loria to get minutes over the next couple of months, too. He played 60 minutes for T2 this weekend as he's coming back from his broken toe. Um, and I still believe that Marvin Loria is probably the brightest of all these prospects. If we're talking about Zambrano, Williamson, Langsdorf, uh, and Loria, I would rank those Loria, Zambrano, Williamson, Langsdorf. One, one, one to four. So I think it's just more injuries that are, have happened that keep him back. But if all of those players do end up with, um, I wouldn't say significant minutes, I don't know what significant minutes mean, but if they end up being options throughout the year, Jamie, I think that maybe we can now start to talk about that pathway from T2 to the Timbers. Yeah. We'll just have to see if that actually uh, comes yeah. together. Right, right. All right. Speaking of coming together, Providence Park, all of the final screws are being twisted over this last week. Uh, LAFC is going to be in town. It's, you know, it's a daunting weekend at Providence Park. LAFC is going to be in town. The Chicago Red Stars are going to be in town on Sunday. These are two of the better teams in their respective leagues. But let's talk about MLS first. Timbers played LAFC before this year. 60 good minutes at Bank of California Stadium. 30 minutes of very, not so great stuff. Four to one loss was ultimately what happened. Um, what do you think about this of course, it's a rematch, but rematch seems like a weird way to describe. But what do you think about this matchup as the first game at Providence Park this season? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm going to read very little into the Timbers' performance against LAC last time, and sort of looking ahead to this game because I think the Timbers were playing bad soccer overall. I, they were not in a good spot at that point in the season. Um, I, they were, they had good stretches, but they weren't in a good spot, and so I'm not 
expecting I, I think they're capable of putting in a much better performance now they obviously have a new attacker um in Fernandez which adds a, a new wrinkle to what they're gonna show against LAFC this weekend they're gonna be at home there, there's a lot of reasons to think this is gonna be a different game the problem is that LAFC's attack is just so good and, and we talked about the shutouts earlier if the Timbers make a mistake defensively Carlos Vela or Diego Rossi or, or someone else um Diomande off the bench is going to punish them. And Carlos Vela has 15 goals in 15 games. It's actually really insulting. (laughs) Like last year when Zlatan Ibrahimovic came into the league and he was scoring way too easily, and you're just like, this isn't a great look for the league. Uh, This is an even worse look for the league because it's like Carlos Vela just took his first year and was just like, okay, I think I figured it out. And now he's he's on pace for like 36 goals and, and also like, what 17 assists yeah, he's on no, pace he's, for so he's it's leading the league in goals and assists and there's a gap like it's 15 and a 15 goals Zlatan has nine and then Diego Valeri is second in the league I, I don't know if he's tied with any but seven assists and, and then Vela has nine so it just it's <laughs> yeah so it's not even 17 assists he's on pace for like a 36 27 season or something like yeah. that I mean it's gross it's really gross I mean you know I, I mentioned this in an article this week how MLS is getting really too giddy with the second assist thing so every even more than previous years I feel like stats are inflated but at the same time you, you don't need stats to know that Carlos Vela right now is the best team best player in this yeah. league so I think about last year's game at Providence Park when LAFC was here and the Timbers played pretty well throughout that whole game. But still, at the end of the game, Carlos Vela gets a ball, cuts it on his left foot, hooks it inside the far post. And all of a sudden, a game that looked very secure was a, was a contest yeah. again. And I think that LAFC is a very similar team to what fans saw during that home game last year. Except for those moments where Carlos Vela can just make something happen, they happen way more often than they did last yeah. year. Yeah, um, It's, it's, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a game that it's going to be a, very, a telling game. Um, yeah. I, I, if the Timbers lose to LAFC, I, I don't think that you should be worried about the Timber season necessarily or anything like that, even if, though it's a home yeah. game. Um, I, I mean, LAFC, I think, is going to win the Supporter Shield, and I don't think it's going to be a contest um, unless something, unless Bella gets hurt. I don't want to wish that yeah. on anyone, but. Um, unless something like that happens, I, I think it's not going to be a contest there, but it will sort of be a, a way for the Timbers to sort of size themselves up uh, against LAFC. I mean, they are, they're at home, they're playing well. This is an opportunity. If they put in a good performance or even beat LAFC to say, Hey, we're the real deal. Yeah. I mean, from the outside, I don't think anybody should pick the Timbers to win this game. Like there's no, there's no reason that you should look at the way the Timbers have played this year, the way LAFC has played this year, the way they played against each other this year, and say, oh, the Timbers the, the Timbers are the favorite here. Now, there's a difference between saying that and it, acknowledging that they're good enough to find a way to win this game. That is true, too. And what's exciting is that they have this whole week to prepare for this challenge. It really is one of these games where players should look at each other and say, this is why we do this. We are here to be in a situation where we have challenges like this to test ourselves. And I think the test is coming at the right time. The team is 4-1-1 in their last six. They just beat the Eastern Conference leaders on the road by multiple goals. It's time for them to have a test like this to see how they stack up against the teams that are going to pose the biggest challenge at the end of the year. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I won't be picking this game at the end of the show. I have to come up with a side bet. But... Is anybody really going to be surprised if the Timbers win, even though they're going to be an underdog going into Saturday's game? 
no, I, I think any result here, uh, I don't know how, I wouldn't call any result surprising. If the Timbers win four to nothing, I'll be surprised. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I, I am sort of expecting it to be close one way or another. Well, yeah. Close if the Timbers win. It, I mean, go the other way. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, if LAFC won four to one again, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I don't they're think, that good. Yeah, I don't think I'd be surprised if LAFC won by a lot. I did, but I don't think yeah. I'd be surprised if the Timbers won. I, I, I would be surprised if the Timbers routed LAFC. That, that yeah. would be shocking to me. They're <laughs> kind of the North Carolina courage of MLS right now. So I know a lot of our MLS listeners won't get that reference, but they're steamrolling the league right now to the same extent that the North Carolina courage steamrolled NWSL last year. Um, let's go, go to some listener yeah. questions before we transition into NWSL talk. Alex asks, will Brian Fernandez get us our first MLS hat trick? Yes. I'm just, yes. I, 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 hmm. if, if someone's going to do it, it's going to be him. <laughs> See, yeah, that's what I'm wondering too. Um, I mean, that's, I, yeah, I'll, I'll say yes, but I also see a scenario where just he teases it for a while. Because, yeah. I mean, like, like you mentioned, I would have bet on Armenteros breaking through. But at the same time, Armenteros has a history in his career of being kind of inconsistent. He'll have a good year that gets him to a new place and then kind of cruise for a little bit, have to reset. Brian Fernandez, ever since his suspension was lifted, has just been on an upward trajectory. Yeah. And so if that continues, you know, he has a two-goal game in his system. You would expect at some point in the next couple of years, he'll find a way to get a three-goal game. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting. Um, keep staying on the same track, Perry asks, how many goals will Fernandez get this season? I'm going to say, I'm going to really, uh, I'm going to make this assumption he's going to be basically as good as we've seen so far. Um, not, at, not at the pace that he's at right now, but I'm going to say 14 goals. That's the same number I was thinking. Um, just doing the math in my head right now, there are 22 games remaining. He's obviously already played two and has three. Yeah, 14 maybe even seems low. Because if we do think he can be one of the top five goal scorers in the league, maybe he's not Joseph, Mar- Joseph Martinez level, but Joseph Martinez level is like a goal a game. So if he settles in at like three goals in five game every five games, I mean, that gets him closer to, well, yeah, just a little over 14. I don't know. 14 was the number that came to my mind, too. Yeah, um, it's basically a goal every other game, which is potentially low from from now on, um, which is potentially low based on what we've seen so far. But if you're going to assume things are going to average out a little bit, it's a, I think it's a decently safe bet. Yeah. Jared with a question that I think um, a good number of people are probably asking in some form or another, how much sleep is Jeremy Obobese losing? Of course, he's alluding to Brian Fernandez's emergence and what that means for his playing time. How, how do you think Jeremy is thinking about what's going on right now? Yeah, I, I mean, he should. I, I mean, hopefully he's not actually losing sleep, but he should be worried about this and he, he should take it as... Um, you know, he, he, as a professional player, he needs to take it as a, a sign that he needs to do better. He needs to keep fighting. He, he needs to push for that spot and make it so Savarese can't take him out because right now, if he's playing like he's been playing, I, I, I think he is going to see the bench, uh, at some time, not too far in the future. Mm. Yeah. I, I just wonder how he's internalizing that. Is he internalizing that in terms of worry? Is he internalizing that in terms of confusion or maybe a little bit of anger? Or is he internalizing it in terms of, I'm young, my career is going to have these challenges, whether they're here or I grow out of this situation and it's in another situation. Um, But either way, there are going to be times in my career where I'm going to have to fight for my job. Um, I mean, 
this sounds like such a stupid thing to say, but it really is just an accomplishment for him to be in this situation, to be competing against a huge designated player signing. Because you think about a year ago, a year ago, he wasn't even a consistent starter for T2 at this point. Foster Langsdorf was having a great year. Jeremy Bobesy was coming off the bench a lot. But kind of putting that kind of Pollyanna-ish silver lining view aside, yeah, Jeremy Bobesy, I think, has to find a way to respond to this. Andrew asks, what place would the Timbers finish if they played in the Western, in the Eastern Conference? I'm going to say third, but it could be even first. I mean, the Eastern Conference is... A, there was a stat out there. I don't know exactly what it is, but... Um, Western Conference is destroying the Eastern Conference in head-to-head matchups right now, and it, it's not even close. The Western Conference is much, much better than the East at the moment. And you look at the Timbers against Eastern Conference opponents, that's where they started getting wins on the road. Um, yeah. They've... Have they gotten a win about... I, I'm trying to remember who they haven't played in the East, but they've gotten a win against three teams in the East. Have they even played any... Well, Cincinnati. They, they lost to Cincinnati. Um, yeah, what an aberrational game <laughs> that looks like now. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, yeah. I I mean, and they're always beating the East next big thing. So Columbus looks so good to start the season. (laughs) Boom, beat them. Toronto started to get hot with Puzuelo. Boom, beat them. Philadelphia, oh, they're still at top of the East. Boom, beat them. And I think it speaks to the depth of the East that they're they the Timbers are having more trouble with the Vancouver's and the Dallas's of the world than they are with the teams that at the moment of time are the top of the East. I mean, I think the Timbers would compete for first place in the Eastern Conference. And the only reason I say compete for is that because of the lack of competition in the east atlanta and the two new york teams have been able to kind of work out their problems without a sense of urgency so i want to see what those teams are like when they do work out their problems because they could very well be the second any of those teams could be the second best team in the league maybe not new york city fc any of those teams could be the second best team in the league by the end of the year but right now they don't have to try to get to that goal they know they're in a conference to where if they have a couple good months they're probably going to finish first yeah which is why i sort of said third but that i mean that's sort of a safe bet because yeah the eastern conference is not not good right now yeah i will say that based on the best play that we've seen from the timbers and where I think an Al Marone-less Atlanta United could be or a Tyler Adams-less New York uh, Red Bulls could be, I think the Timbers have kind of like the same ceiling as those two teams. And just LAFC's ceiling is in a different place <laughs> right now. So speaking of different places, let's shift gears from MLS. Let's talk about the NWSL. Thorns at Sky Blue. Jamie, your, your predictions seemed so good when you made them last week. Like very sensible. Uh, but... This one almost came true. You, you predicted a draw. Just It could have been a scoreless draw if it wasn't for Mitch yeah. Purse. Thorns end up winning one to nothing. Um, yeah. How how you feeling about your 1-1 prediction? Uh, it's a, I mean, it's not a terrible prediction based on how that game played out. Um, yeah. It's not right. It, it's closer than your Tyler Lucy goal, though. Yeah, Tyler Lucy had one good chance, and she just didn't get her headed shot on frame. And uh, for For a game where there were like a lot of positives of the new players contributing in new places. I thought that Tyler Lucy maybe didn't seize her moment. And it is making me wonder if this, you know, bandwagon that I am driving maybe needs to stop and have an oil change or something to get back on course. Either way, the Thorns responded to their first law of the se- loss of the season the week before a 3-1 defeat at the Washington Spirit with uh, a victory, one to nothing. It's their first shutout since the first game of the season. They returned from their road trip with three wins, two draws, and a loss. Uh, Jamie, how are you feeling about the Thorns right now? I think they're in a pretty good position. Like, like I said, I, I think there's always this feeling that you the, the Thorns are held sort of to a higher standard um, in a sense. But 
yeah, I, I feel pretty good about how this road trip ended up going for them. Yeah, it was a good response. Let's just talk about this game specifically. We can talk about the road trip and where the Thorns sit in the standing in a second. Standings in a second, but second trip to New Jersey this year, two-two draw the first time. Memorable because Sky Blue jumped out early with a couple of Carly Lloyd goals, and the Thorns were pretty much chasing the game. Not most of the time because they had responded by halftime in that game, but it was a different kind of game. This one was interesting because the Thorns kind of pushed Sky Blue into their own half early. Didn't really let them out very often, but also weren't generating a ton of chances either. So, Jamie, what did you think about the approach that the Thorns took, our first glimpse at this completely World Cup player-less lineup, and how ultimately they performed? Yeah, I I felt pretty good about their ability to sort of prevent Sky Blue from from creating many dangerous chances. Um, I I think that was a good sign given that they've struggled a lot there in the past. And obviously the last game they played there, they allowed two early goals. And we've been talking a lot about the defense in general. Um, Obviously both teams are different now than they were when they last played. But I, I was pretty happy with sort of the defensive performance and, and the ability to just sort of prevent Sky Blue from getting many opportunities on, on the really on the thorn side of the field. Um, I was concerned about the attack through most of the game. I, I think I tweeted out yeah. that this team, if they can do what they're doing defensively, that's great, but who's going to score? Um, they found the goal, so you got to be pretty excited about that. Mitch Purse might be the answer to that question. If, if she, she's been come, dealing with injury, if she can get healthy, completely healthy and start playing more games, but I, I am still concerned that you're not seeing a ton of players on this team that you can say, yeah, Anna Cernogovic is going to find a goal. Dagny Brinjastar is going to find a goal. I really wasn't sure that they were going to get the goal for up until the point Mitch Purse put the ball in the back of the net. You, you mentioned some names that I think we should focus on because we know that Simone Charlie isn't going to be a game breaker at this point. And we know the same thing about Tyler Lucy, but we also... I guess people don't know about Simone Charlie since that was their first real glimpse of her. But these are players that are going to put the work in. But you need other people to create their opportunities for them. You need other people to be putting unbalancing defenses in order to make their effort work. And I didn't really see that from Anna Cernogorcevic or uh, Dagny Brignard's daughter. No. And I'm not even saying that they need to be those players within the context of the team beyond this next couple months. But if we're looking for how this the Thorns go from being a team that can collect one or two scrappy goals on a weekend to one that can have a consistent attacking presence over this time, those two have to have to step up. I, I saw I saw Megan Klingenberg stepping up. Yeah. I thought she was really good in the first half. Some of the passes she were playing were very good, like breaking passes. Um, I think we saw in the performances of the players that came into the team, I thought Simone Charlie was good. I thought Elizabeth Ball was good. I thought the midfield that they chose of Angela Salem, Gabby Seiler, and Dagny Brynjars' daughter. I think it was a surprise to a lot of us that Celeste Bure wasn't yeah. in the team. But the balance that midfield had was great. I thought. So there was a lot of positives, but like you said, just the lack of creativity, the inability to put Tyler Lucy and Simone Charlie in spaces where they were going to let their effort be productive. Um, I think that's for me. I also, Jamie, I agree. That's a concern coming out of this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with Megan Klingberg, I think we got an answer on who's going to be able to take uh, set pieces. I, I mean, I think that should have maybe been obvious, but um, mm-hmm. I, I do think they have a pretty good set piece taker, even, even with uh, Tobin Heath not there. Right yeah. Now. I, but kind of to take a step back and perspective is going to be hard during these next couple of weeks because we always talk about games in, in terms of 
Teams should win games. Teams should do certain things, period. They should score goals. They should prevent goals. But obviously, everybody knows when you lose nine of your best players for a tournament, like you're conceding things during these next couple of months. So the question I want to ask you is, does the performance that the team have had on Saturday within that context make you more, less, or give you the same level of confidence in their ability to navigate these next seven weeks? I think I was really happy with the results um, because they found a way to get the win. They found a way to grind that out and, and they put in an overall pretty good performance. But I, I think I'm sort of about the same um, because I, I think mm-hmm. the defense hasn't been decimated and we know this defense is capable of putting in a good performance. And I, so it's not shocking to see that happen. Um, but, it, but yeah, my my questions haven't changed about the attack. And you're not every game where you're going to find Midge Purse uh, whatever it was 80 something minute um and find that goal that that's not going to happen if you're creating the limited chances that the thorns are right now mm-hmm. well one thorn that i didn't mention also was madison pogart who came on came on at the end and melissa everett marissa everett too who her first nnwsl touch was almost a goal this yeah. weekend so uh, that would that would have been cool and the one thing i want to say about sky blue too is that we look at teams like sky blue and washington and they have this brand as not being good teams but we obviously saw that Washington's a pretty good team. And then they went to Chicago this weekend and they won there. So they're actually they're a pretty good team. I mean, Sky Blue has uh, Nahomi Kawasumi, Savannah McCaskill, and Imani Dorsey in attack. Are those great players? No. But during this World Cup stretch, that's a, actually a pretty talented attack compared to some of the other attacks that the team's going to see. So I think that shutout is probably a little bit stronger than maybe we would normally think it is at least during this new context. I mean, we're basically, it feels like we're talking about triple A, not triple A spring training baseball here. Yeah. Right. Where like they're, they're definitely playing baseball and I can't believe I'm talking about baseball on this <laughs> podcast, but they're definitely playing baseball and you want everybody to perform well, but you're just kind of trying to read into this as to, okay, what does this mean come April 1st for this team, these teams? And for the Thorns, you want them to stay in touch in the standings, but what does this mean come July 17th or whenever the team is going to be back together? Um, so I, I guess I don't know. A win is good, right? A win is good. And I, I think we'll get, this weekend, obviously, we'll be telling coming home if they can take, if this group of players can take it to another level playing at home, not having to deal with the travel. They've talked about how difficult it is going to New Jersey. Uh, and Chicago's obviously has some massive absences as well um, and is coming off a loss to Washington. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of performance they can put in on Sunday at Providence Park at 3 p.m. against Chicago. Yeah, let's talk about Chicago because we've come to think of the Chicago Red Stars as one of the most talented teams in the league. We always talk about the Thorns, the Courage, and the Red Stars as being talent-wise above the rest of the league. They lo- they've lost Sam Kerr. They've lost Morgan Bryan. They've lost... Um, Tierna Davidson, they've lost Alyssa Nair, but the names that they still have, Casey Short, Aaron Wright, um, Katie Naughton, those are three starters along their back line that are there when the full team is there. They have Vanessa DiBernardo, maybe one of the most underrated players in the league. Daniel Colaprico, uh, Katie Johnson is a, is a goal scorer. Y- Yuki Nagasato constantly gives teams trouble from that number 10 role that she plays. They, you know, anytime you lose Sam Kerr, it's a big loss. But they still have a lot of weapons in their team right now. And I, looking at their 11 that they put out this weekend that lost at home to Washington, credit to Washington for that. I mean, I'm still looking at this team and going, wow, they're, they're not in bad shape right now. Yeah. Um, I think when you look at their roster overall, whether they're, they're at, I think you would say they probably have more talent than the Thorns right now. Um, Thorns are going to be at home. 
I, 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 th- I do think there's going to be, I think for both the Timbers and Thorns, there's going to be a lot of excitement around this weekend. And, and yeah. so I th- wouldn't be surprised to see results go in a surprise way, one way or the other. Either those teams rise to the occasion, they play, um, they play better than maybe they are just because of the emotions of it, or the opposite side, they, they cave under the pressure. I, I mean, I think oh. those are the kinds of things that could happen when you're dealing with the excitement after so long of coming home. Oof. You know, if any other weekend the Timbers lost to LAFC at home, understandable. LAFC is a good team. Any other weekend the Timbers lost to the Red Stars at home, the understandable. The Thorns, sorry. Thank you. The Thorns lost to the Red Stars at home. If the Timbers lost to the Red Stars at home, that'd be a big problem. If the Thorns lost to the Red Stars at home, hey, the Red Stars are a good team. What if the teams go loss-loss this, this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I feel like a bad person even bringing not that up. Gonna, it's not going to be a good feeling. It's not necessarily going to be um, the it, it, surprising, but there's an occasion to rise to this weekend. There's an expectation. This is a big celebratory weekend. And to have two losses there, it's not going to ruin the season. It's not going to do anything like that. But there, there, I think there is a little bit of an expectation that the teams are going to go out there and, and get the wins uh, to sort of celebrate the reopening of Providence Park. So what from the Thorns this weekend do you think needs to change, be better? What would you do if you were trying to set up this team to get three points against the Red Stars on Sunday? They they have to figure out how they're going to create consistent chances. I mean, Chicago's good. Like you said, the, the back line's good. This isn't going to be easy. They're not going to be given chances. They have to figure out who, uh, from the number 10 role, or do they need to make a change there? Do they need to make a change in the midfield? Do they need to make a change in the attack? Can Mitch Purse start? What's going to create chances? I, I mean, the defense has to be also. I, I mean, Chicago has some good players. The they uh, Nagasako uh, scored twice in, in that four four game. So um, they they're going to have to be good on both sides of the ball. But like like I've said, I I think the attack is the big question and how. What can this team do? Who can be out there in the lineup that's going to help create consistent chances and cause the, the Chicago's back line trouble? Would you bring Brew Ray back into the starting 11? I was surprised she wasn't in there to begin with. Um, I think yes, based on what she can do, and especially against this, uh, especially against the talent level that she's going to face now, given what she's done against better talent. I, I, I'm Maybe she has had some like a poor game or two, but I would definitely, I, I think, get her back in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of answered this question. If she can go 60 minutes, say, would you start Mitch Purse over Tyler Lucy? Yeah, I, I think I think Mitch Purse is a better option um, in terms of what uh, kind of her upside um, and what she can do. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would get Mitch Purse in there if she can uh, go a decent amount of the game. Well, let me put it to you like this. Mitch Purse can play a number of positions. Which of Simone Charlie, Tyler Lucy, or Elizabeth Ball, who started it right back this weekend, would you drop to get Mitch Purse into the lineup? I, I wouldn't. I, I know Mitch Purse can play outside back, but I, given the limited attacking options, I want her in the attack. I want her in mm-hmm. a strictly attacking role because I think that they need to see what else they have, the player-wise, that can score goals. So um, I think probably Tyler, Tyler Lucy, but I, I would keep the back line pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean, they could also just move Lucy up to the nine and move Charlie to the bench. Uh, Lucy, I think, has something like two goals in 400 career minutes or something like that. I hate when I do this because I don't know these numbers off the top of my head, and then I like start spouting them off on the podcast as if me speculating like this means anything. But um, I think it's closer to 700 minutes. And there I go again. Either way, it's interesting that Mitch Purse scored her second career 
NWSL goal. It's exactly the number of goals that Tyler Lucy has too. It's interesting. Um, let's go to some questions here. Tim asks, who on the Thorns has the most to gain from a strong performance while the national team players are away? So that's an interesting question. It is, and I, I should have thought it through because there are, I think there are a number of players and I, um, there's a number of players. I, I mean, a player like Simone Charlie has a lot to gain because in terms of her roster spot and even being in this mix going forward, I, I, I think yeah. she has to prove something in the stretch to prove that she really deserves a, a coveted roster spot um, moving forward. But then at the same time, a player like Dagny Brindestadter or Anna Cernogorcevic, I think they also on a, on a higher level have something to prove in terms of do they stay in the lineup? Do they still play a significant role when those players come back? I'm thinking about what's more important. Earning a way to be one of the three subs that come off the bench in the late season games, because I think the Thorns starting lineup is pretty set, unless uh, injuries happen or something like that. The Thorns starting lineup post-World Cup seems pretty set. So is that more important? Earning time, earning those 15, 20, 30-minute roles at the end of the season? Or is it more important just to prove that you're somebody who is an NWSL player? be that for the thorns or somebody else. So is this more important for Simone Charlie to prove that she's somebody that is deserving of a a full contract in the future? Or is it more important for somebody like Gabby Seiler to show that when the team is fully healthy, that she is still capable of uh, earning major minutes? I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. What do you, what do you, which of those two things do you think is more important? I mean, that that was the same sort of question I think I was having. Um, yeah. I, I mean, maybe. I, I think for the players, proving you're an NWSL player, proving this proving this is your career, um, you know, probably is a bigger deal. I, I don't know if you're looking at from more of what's more important for the Thorns perspective, it would be different. But if you're looking at it from the individual perspective, yeah, I, I think probably someone like Simone Charlie um, has more to gain from this because if she doesn't prove it here, then, then she this might not be her career. I, I mean, they, they just might, she might struggle to get uh stay within a ro- a limited roster within the NWSL. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next question comes from MK. Why would the thorns wave Mallory Weber right before the world cup? I don't know if I have a great reason for that. I, I mean, maybe you can give some more insight. I, I mean, clearly they felt for whatever reason, either because Weber had a different opportunity um, and they didn't see her playing as much or, or for whatever reason that they getting players like Charlie uh, on the roster and, and making some moves that they did because they, they waved Weber and then they, um, I believe, added Charlie and uh, a few other players to the roster. They felt that was the right way to go. I, I was surprised about it, given that I, I think Weber was someone that could have added a little bit to this attack. Yeah, I'm well, first. They added. I'm just trying to remember the three people they announced. It was uh, Charlie, Emily Ogle, and Madison Pogar. Yeah. They announced at the same time that Ifioma Onamanu and Mallory Weber were waived. Uh, Mallory Weber was picked up by Utah. Ifioma Onamanu was picked up by Seattle. Um, as far as adding to the attack, I, I just looked this up right now. Mallory Weber has one goal in 2,000 MLS minutes, an MLS NWSL minutes. So I, I don't. I don't know what people were expecting from Mallory Weber. Um, she was somebody that is a good person to come off the bench in late game scenarios. She can start for you and she's a great presser up top, but I, there have also been a lot of points over the last years where Mallory Weber gets a ball at the feet in the penalty box and she just doesn't do anything with it. So I, I just wonder what we were waiting for with Mallory Weber, because from what we saw this weekend from Simone Charlie, she was probably more dangerous than I've ever seen Mallory Weber be in attack. And that's not to say she's a better player, but when you're going through like the coach's decisions as to, okay, who are we going to devote 
our time and who are we going to give minutes to going forward? I mean, Jamie, what's your opinion? I would much rather give those minutes to Tyler, Lucy, and Simone Charlie than continue investing another 2,000 minutes in Mallory Weber. I think the question is how Mallory Weber would have done, and we'll see how she would have done during this stretch. Because um, I'm trying to think of when she joined the Thorns. I don't think she's de- dealt with one of these stretches where she is suddenly one of the more talented players um, potentially uh, around yeah, versus maybe. playing against um, the competition that she normally has to play with. But, I mean, if you think that Simone Charlie could be a better long-term option too, it makes sense to make that investment now if you think she can give you what you need now. And you just don't see Mallory Weber after the World Cup playing any role for this team going forward. Yeah, but I think it is an interesting question because the Thorns are having to sign players like Marissa Everett out of nowhere, who, you know, in training, Marissa's been good, but... It, from the outside, it's definitely worth asking the question or even from the inside. I mean, I asked the question and, you know, I, there were some roster dynamics that had to be resolved here. Basically, the Thorns were out of spaces once you have to sign these new players to, to contracts or even the short-term contracts that they have. Um, so they had to make some decisions with them. I think ultimately, once you're... I think Mal- Mallory Weber, I'm looking at her uh, stats right now. She's 25. I think Ifioma Onamanu is relatively the same age. At some point, you just have to look at a player and say, what is their future? And if this is just the player that they are, then you have to make some tough choices. I mean, it really stinks because like, nobody wants a, pl- per- a person like Mallory Weber to go. Nobody wants a person like Ifi Onamanu to go. But at the same time, I think her track record is pretty clear. One goal in 2,000 minutes in the NWSL. Like, what were we waiting for? Yeah. All right. So that's that felt depressing. Yeah, that was a depressing ending. <laughs> Well, let's get to something equally depressing. Our predictions and our side bets for the coming games. Let's do them in chronological order. Providence Park opens in full on Saturday when the Timbers host LAFC. Jamie, I know for sure that you're predicting an LAFC win. <laughs> now, I'm going to be optimistic this week. I don't know that I've been optimistic this season. 2-1 win for the home team. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I've been optimistic this season very much, but... It's home, and like I said, I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see both these teams sort of just play to another level just because of the the excitement of playing at home. Um, so I'm going to give it to the Timbers, and this could absolutely not go this way, but I'm going to say a 3-2 win for the Timbers. Hmm. Well, my side bet, it kind of contrasts with yours a little bit, but also I think there's a world here where we both end up looking good as far as our prognostication is concerned. My side bet is that the Timbers keep LAFC to fewer than two goals, which isn't remarkable in the soccer universe of things. Like home teams usually do that, but against LAFC, it's something to note this year if you can do that. Second game of the weekend, Chicago Red Stars are visiting the Portland Thorns, Portland Thorns' first home game of the season. Jamie, you're definitely picking a 2-1 home win here. Yeah, no, I'm not, but I, I feel like I should. I think you've like convinced me not to do that, and now, I, now I'm coming up with different. <laughs> I'm going to be mad if it's a 2-1 home win. I'm going to do a 1-0 Thorns win. Again, I think the Thorns can rise to the occasion at home. We'll see if I'm right. We'll see if the moment uh, is something where the Timbers and Thorns uh, show up for it, uh, because... I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it. So I'm going to do another one of these unduly specific predictions just for the sake of, I don't know, I think they're fun. But I could say that Dagny Bringer's daughter scores a goal. I could say that she even scores a goal, you know, at a certain time of the game. I'm going to say that Dagny Bringer's daughter scores off of a set piece with her head in this game. Very specific. All right. That would be good for the Thorns. If it goes off her shoulder, I I lose. (laughs) Okay. Just want to be very clear on very that. Very specific. We got it down. Yeah. So. She, goes, she scores from open play. I lose. Okay. 
Okay. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about, I guess, winning and losing the fantasy update. Uh, Let's get there. Um, In third place, uh, we have Mark uh, that's flicking Portland FC. In second place, we have, I think this is a new team. uh, Oh, no, it's a new name. Uh, We have Global Puppet Show Club, which is Xavier. I guess he switched out his name. Um, And then still in first is Wook score more goals. And that is Robert. So the person that helps us every week, Mark, is still in the top three. He's doing really well. Not much analysis to add to this one, except for Wook score more goals still look incredibly strong. They still have a lot of points against, and they're still undefeated, uh, 12-0-0. The thing that I'm wondering here, when we're looking at the standings here that Mark sent us, it looks like Global Puppet Show had a bye week, because Wook score more goals is 12-0-0 on the year, and then it looks like Global Puppet Show is 11-0-0. And then you go farther down the table, the team that's in sixth place, whose name I can't say on the air, also only has 11 games played in 12 weeks. So, Mark, you're going to have to explain to us why that's even possible, how somebody can have a bye week. But uh, Mark, of course, here has a reminder that this is going to be a double game week for a lot of teams. Galaxy, RSL, Montreal, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Sporting, Kansas City, Atlanta, Chicago, Colorado, and D.C. So a huge week of action in MLS and uh, actually... To go back to what I said at the beginning of the show, I'm just tired thinking about all of those games. <laughs> well, I am not tired. I'm excited to actually be in Portland this weekend, go down to Providence Park and see games. And, and we will be back next week to talk about soccer made solely in Portland uh, <laughs> for once. Um, but if if you want to find figure out where to find us, you can find us every week on Oregon Live, Sometime Footy, and Timbers.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care. <laughs>